The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. (laughs) I noticed that today there's a double dose of uh, we're not responsible for the views. (laughs) I wonder if that's any reflection of my recent shows in which I (laughs) expressed my views quite um, uh, vociferously and quite uh, said exactly what was on my mind. Well, I usually do that, but I guess sometimes (laughs) with more, uh, more force than others. In any case, today, (laughs) not to disappoint any of my listeners, I uh, have a similarly um, controversial show, not quite as controversial as Octomom or or, uh, Chris uh, Brown and Rihanna, but nonetheless a very interesting, although more intellectually uh, interesting, um, story and analysis of something else that's going on or that went on in the news, the unfortunate suicide of Nicholas Hughes who is the son of Sylvia Plath. And so today's show is entitled Suicide, Family Legacy or Coincidence. And I have two distinguished guests um, on the show today to help figure out, plumb the depths of some of these murky corners um, of Sylvia Plath's life and uh, and all the whole family. It's It's... You know, it's it's quite an interesting, although tragic, um, circumstances, set of circumstances that surround members of the family. Um, and just to uh, set this out, you know, unfortunately, um, I, I think I need to clarify or make sure everyone is on the same page and knows who Sylvia Plath is, although my guests will go into that in greater depth. But she was a, um, a famous writer. She lived um, from 1932 until 1963 when she killed herself at age 30. And um, something that I was kind of astonished to discover in doing research for this show was that her, her, the primary years of her writing career were from 1960 until 1963. So in other words, from the time she was approximately 27 to 30. And she wrote some incredible, incredible poems. And of course, um, this pseudo, semi-autobiographical novel called The Bell Jar, which um, is often required reading and should be uh, in school. So my distinguished guests today are on both sides of the ocean. We have from the American side um, the University of Massachusetts professor, Richard Larson, 
And from the UK, uh, a British professional librarian named John Wolford. And both of these are uh, passionate about and very knowledgeable about Sylvia Plath and her whole family. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's talk, first of all, um, about Nicholas's suicide um, and and whether you have been able to find, I mean, I have been sort of scouring the uh, news and, and trying to find more details about what it is that might have upset him at this particular moment, caused him to commit suicide. Um, it was March 16th, I believe. And... Um, Perhaps you can both shed light on who he was and what might have been happening in his life. Professor, Professor Larson, why don't we start with you? Well, what I don't know anything immediately about the circumstances preceding his death uh, a week ago. But what I do know is that um, he made a very conscious effort to distance himself from matters pertaining to uh, his mother and even other members of his immediate family by, if nothing else, residing in Alaska, uh, mm-hmm. about as remote a place as at least I can imagine living, uh, allowing that it was in pursuit of his academic interests, interests that had to do with fish biology. He was an ichthyologist with a doctoral degree in in, you know, in science, he was following, and his his grandmother, who was quite proud of him, as you might well imagine, uh, and who is a friend of mine. That's how I initially uh, became involved in this. His grandmother always attributed this not just to his uh, Nicholas's father's interests, which were very much uh, in his poetry associated with the natural world, but also his grandfather's, that is uh, Sylvia Plath's father's interest. He was a, um, uh, a a biologist who taught at the uh, Boston University. He was an entomologist, that is, an insect biologist, with a doctoral degree that uh, he earned uh, in uh, that field, um, you know, at the age of maybe about uh, 35. So, Aria Plath, that is, uh, Nicholas's grandmother and my friend, um, traced his interests uh, in biology to those two sources, not just his father, but his grandfather. That's interesting, because that would seem to make sense that it would be his way of trying to feel closer uh, to his mother, since he was about a year old when she put her head in the oven and gassed herself. Um, Nicholas, we should say, was 47. He was unmarried, no children. Um, and he had recently been a professor of fisheries and ocean sciences at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks and um, just recently gave up that job to become a potter, <laughs> which I think would have been a sign, you know, at least in terms of depression, that perhaps um, he was becoming more isolated, more withdrawn, you know, wanted to stay home. Makes sense to me, but again, I... I don't have credentials to uh, comment in that particular regard. Um, John Welford, what what um, comments do you have about Nicholas's death? Well, um, I'm just um, look. Um, I'm looking here at the uh, London Times, which had a feature on him uh, yesterday, in fact. And there's a quotation here from um, it was quoted as a family friend, which says Nick wasn't just the baby son of Plath and Hughes. 
and it would be wrong to think of him as some kind of inevitably tragic figure. He was a man who reached his mid-40s, an adventurous marine biologist with a distinguished academic career behind him, and a host of friends and achievements in his own right. That is the man who is mourned by those who knew him. There's a comment also from his sister, Frida, who, of course, was also in the flat on the day her mother died. She would have been two years old at the time. And uh, her comment is, It is a profound sorrow that I must announce the death of my brother, Nicholas, who died by his own hand on Monday, the 16th of March, 2009, at his home in Alaska. He had been battling depression for some time. Now, uh, that seems to suggest that... um, uh, you know, he had his own life. He had, you know, he was he was making a success for himself in his own way. But there was a demon there somewhere, wasn't there? That that uh, had, had, was his depression. And um, in my, like yourself, Carol, I, I have had some dealings with people who have suffered from depression in the past. I used to be a Samaritans volunteer. Hmm. If you know about the Samaritans, the the bridge well, I think you call them suicide helpers or something like that in the states. So I have I have met many depressed people, and I also know that uh, depression is something that can hit anybody at any time. It doesn't have to be inherited, but it can have terrible effects on people, leading them to take their own lives with, without any real cause that you can put your finger on at the time. What's interesting to me is that um, in terms of the continuities that, I think, uh, Carol, you're uh, trying to investigate uh, that a number of poems that her uh, that his mother wrote uh, address her own Sylvia's own anxieties that that this might be a transmitted um, emotional or mental state, and I could read a few excerpts if you want me to sure. from from them. Does sure. that interest you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of them is called Child. And this was written to Nicholas. Uh, remember that he was born January 19th, 1962, and she committed suicide on February 11th. Uh, excuse me, uh, 62, yeah. She committed uh, suicide February 11th, 63. So, you know, roughly, uh, he was roughly 13 months old. And these poems were addressed to him when he was probably about 7 to 10 months old. This one's called Child, and it says, Your clear eye is the one absolutely beautiful thing I want to fill it with color and ducks, the zoo of the new, whose name you meditate, April snowdrop, Indian pipe, little stalk without a wrinkle, pool in which images should be grand and classical, not this troublous ringing of hands, this dark ceiling without a star. Hmm. Wow, so she was... um sort of uh, that was she was really talking about her own life being a ceiling without a star and she was right. wishing that that wouldn't happen to him right and and as with i would imagine any parent uh in any circumstance but certainly given the uncertainties that Sylvia was facing in the closing months of her life uh having separated from her husband and enduring a variety of uh both economic and uh i guess climatic even hardships uh, it was a very i was living in england at the time i was uh living about 15 miles away from where uh plath was living up until december of 62 i was at exeter university and she was in devon also so i remember that year personally you know that was part of my life 
and it was a, <laughs> a decidedly uh, uh, you know aggressive sort of uh, English winter that she was enduring, as well as the separation, the care for two children under the age of three, and uh, so forth. So you could see that her own emotional state was obviously fraught, and she was projecting it, or whatever other term you wish to apply, uh, onto her son as well. Well, do you know, um, in talking with her mother, yeah. um, was there, what was the history of depression yes. in her family? She uh, disowned that. Uh, again, I knew Marie, I worked with her for, as they say, uh, we made a number of television programs. Uh, there's a biography program on A&E that, you know, she's, my uh, videos of her are included in and so forth. And I've made commercial videos as well for academic purposes. So I taped her on a number of occasions, and she was very forthright in her discussions with me. But she, in those conversations, uh, almost invariably attributed uh, her daughter's emotional uh, condition to one of uh, multiple causes, some of which were mutually, as you might expect, mutually contradictory, um, one of which included a family history uh, of depression on her husband's side. And as we all know, um, one of the more standard things that we can uh, predict is that uh, all the positive attributes of our children come from us. <laughs> and, uh, the others uh, we can easily assign elsewhere. Right, our and, spouse, yes. And, uh, so uh, I, I never knew quite what to make of that, and I uh-huh. could come up with her other explanations, if you wish, at some other time. Uh-huh, yes, we'll, we'll go into that, too. Well, we do need to take our first break. We're talking about... Uh, the recent suicide of Nicholas Hughes, who was the son of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, uh, poets. We're going to hear more about their lives and the legacy that Nicholas was born into. When we come back, my guests are Professor Richard Larson and British professional librarian John Welford. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Keeping families together whole and healthy is sometimes a serious challenge to parents. And when there's a crisis, where do you turn for help? Right here. The Parents' Hour with Dr. Arlene Kerman, an open and frank forum covering both legal and social issues surrounding our kids. Tune in for The Parents' Hour with Dr. Arlene Kerman every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Radio Network. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. 
Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Yes, and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about suicide, family legacy or coincidence in honor of Nicholas Hughes, the son of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, who, uh, Nicholas, who, um, committed suicide, uh, this past week when he was 47 years old by hanging himself in his home in Alaska. I don't think that had anything to do with, uh, Sarah Palin not becoming <laughs> vice president. Um, my guests are the distinguished, um, uh, professor and librarian and um, professor of literature at University of Massachusetts, Richard Larson, and professional librarian in Britain, um, John Welford. And we let's we, let's uh, go now. Take sort of roll back the tape and um, look at uh, Sylvia Plath, who she was. And before the during the break, we were having a discussion about how well known um, Sylvia was, and why don't the two of you uh, share what you were saying with the listeners? Well, um, I was just commenting that Sylvia Plath, again, perhaps more so in America, uh, is an iconic figure, if not on a par with Mal Monroe, uh, certainly uh, within a kind of uh, cult kind of population, especially adolescent females, uh, has an enormous currency. And uh, she and uh, Mal Monroe died within um, about five months of each other. So we're talking about Monroe was in, uh, or seven months, Monroe was in August of 62, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, So that there's a kind of uh, uh, zeitgeist atmosphere, whatever you want to call it, that uh, they both somehow are associated with. And also it was at a time when the women's movement was just beginning to take hold uh, where uh, the second sex, for example, Simone de Beauvoir or or uh, Betty Friedan's, uh, you know, uh, discussion of the feminine mystique, the, this was a, a transitional uh, period, and it 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 came about at a time when um, 
both uh, Monroe and Plath were viewed in many respects as not exactly analogous, but somewhat comparable, inverted commas, victims of a kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexist or mm. male-dominated uh, culture that uh, reduced women to the level of objects or discounted them as, uh, you know, of equal value to men. Yes, that, that's interesting. Um uh although you know although certainly they were very different in um i mean of course <laughs> Sylvia of course. Plath was not sort of the glamour in fact that was no. one of her uh problems inner yeah. conflicts um right. uh when she worked at mademoiselle and compared right. herself to some of the more stylish um right. women who were profiled or, sure. or in the magazine and and yeah. felt less you know, felt not good enough compared to them. So it's it's kind of ironic. But you know, um, what do you think about the uh, phenomenon of teen girls um, being influenced uh, in terms of copycat suicides? You know, the Bell Jar is a very um, very profound, very moving um, book yeah. in which, at the end, you know, the protagonist. Uh, Commit suicide just like Sylvia does soon after she wrote that. Um, well, technically speaking, uh, the protagonist doesn't. Her right, arch, uh, her arch, whatever you call it, rival in the book does. So the character named Joan Gillig does. But that Esther Greenwood herself emerges from the psychiatric ward, which uh, you know is based on her actual experiences here uh, in Massachusetts. She she emerges uh, to face an open-ended sort of uh, future in, in which anything is possible. She says at one point, who is to know if somewhere the bell jar, which is a metaphor for this, this um, experimental uh, piece of equipment that uh, deprives anything beneath it of oxygen. It was used in the 18th century to discover the existence of oxygen. They, they put a candle under a glass jar, and they found that the candle went out. If they put a mouse and a candle under the jar, both <laughs> the, the mouse died and the candle went out because they were competing for the same substance. It was then a metaphor for this uh, uh, oppressive lack of the inability to breathe, in effect, mm, mm. and and so she fears that 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 panic, that anxiety attack, would once again overtake her, and and that's how the book. Does. <laughs> you know, you can tell I read it a while ago. That's okay. <laughs> but um. But to go back to your question, it's a good question because, in fact, when I teach the bell jar. I do so with a very big, almost like the Surgeon General's warning label, mm -hmm. that this is a story about someone, and her mother always insisted this, this is a story about someone who saw life through a distorted uh, lens, a, a prism or a some form of convex uh, distortion uh, glass, and that it was not to be emulated, that it was to be seen for what it was, which was uh, a mind in, under considerable stress. And why is yeah, yeah, her no, art... So another okay. aspect of that, of course, is, that, is the, the thought that through her writing The Bell Jar, Sylvia Plath has... You, if it's, I mean, how autobiographical is it in the sense, did she see herself as predicting her own demise? Yes, that's what I was just wondering. In order to complete the story, as it were. 
That's what I was just going to ask. Um, uh, I don't remember what was the situation with the arch rival as to why did she commit suicide? Well, um, she needed, I mean, part of the answer to, you know, the guest's question is obviously uh, anyone's guess, but my speculation as a, as a reader of the, of the story is that, um, there were certain dramatic necessities within the book and that the dramatic necessity was for an alternative, uh, conclusion, namely one that was, uh, obviously, uh, you know, tempting to plot herself. Uh, namely, uh, suicide, which, as it happens, was a suicide by hanging in the book. And um, oh, wow, that's interesting. That, and, uh, that, wow, that's really interesting because, and then her son, right, hanged himself. Right, but that to the extent that she's she's speculating about this, it it obviously must have spoken. I'm say obviously. I, again, I'm not a clinician, but it it seems that it spoke to some inner need. On the other hand, there was also a dramatic need as a storyteller, mm-hmm. and I, I don't. I try to emphasize, in fact, the degree to which the bell jar not only should not be used as a, a, a handbook for you know, potential suicides, but also that as a work of art, it, it has its own internal logic. And, and part of the suicides that are described there, she, she makes repeated efforts, Esther Greenwood makes repeated efforts using at least three or four, maybe as many as half a dozen different scenarios, and as they proceed one after another, they actually take on a kind of, again, to use this word cautiously, kind of comic dimension. Because, because to the extent that you, you know, there was an old Burt Reynolds film about 20 years ago about a guy, it was called The End, who, who, who contemplates suicide because he gets a misdiagnosis for an illness. And the first attempt is serious. By the time he's finished with the 20th, it turns into black humor. It's, 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 it's more comic than, than serious. And there is a dimension of the bell jar in which there's a kind of self-irony at work there, that she's, she's sort of making fun of herself for over-dramatizing her own condition. Yes, but I think, John, I guess you were trying to say that, um, that this was, in a way, what um, Sylvia's playing out in her mind of... Or, or foreseeing, or or trying to cope with her own suicidal feelings. John. John. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, well, I, I must confess, I don't know the book. Uh, I only know all okay, the book. Well, okay. We can move on from there then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. But, but, but the, the other comment I would make, though, is that um, she, uh, she obviously this this this. This concept of the bell jar was something that had been in her mind for a very long time. Now, this thing about being smothered under the glass jar. And uh, I, I have a note here that uh, you know, she, she was using the phrase that being in a bell jar right the way back to the time when she was at uh, Mademoiselle Magazine in Smith College. Right. It was, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a sort of uh, um, uh, uh, theme that's been running through her life. You, you do understand also that Sylvia made uh, one unsuccessful suicide attempt, uh, which is recorded or at least uh, referenced in the bell jar. That is when she was about 20 years old, following the uh, summer at uh, what in the book is called Ladies' Day, but in you know in reality it was Mademoiselle. And then, of course, her subsequent one ten years later. And My understanding she, is she that succeeded. the one of her one of her suicide attempts was was quite a serious one in the fact that she took an overdose, yes. hid under a house, yes. 
I wasn't found for three days. Yes. I mean, I, uh, now that, sounds, yeah. that doesn't strike me as a sort of cry for help. That sounds like a no. serious attempt to try and do away, do away with oneself. Yeah. No, I, I, I wasn't trying to suggest that it was less than serious. Mm, yeah. Only that the representation in, 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 the, in the story. Yes, well, um, <laughs> well, there's so much to, to talk about in regard to her. It's just uh, such a, a, a rich life and, and that only lasted 30 years. It's, it's really... Well, we'll get back. We'll talk more about it, including um, the question of how much her husband's infidelity, what, what role that played in her uh, successful suicide. When we come back, we're talking about suicide, family, legacy, or coincidence. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and stay tuned for more. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guests who are scholars in regard to Sylvia Plath, um, professor of literature at the University of Massachusetts, Richard Larson, and British professional librarian, John Welford. Um, let me just sort of give a little bit of background, and then we can talk more about her marriage. Um, Sylvia Plath was born during the Great Depression. She was born in Massachusetts. Um, her mother was approximately 21 years younger than Sylvia's father, who died. Her, her father died a week and a half after Sylvia's eighth birthday, which, of course, in itself um, caused her to have a dark cloud hanging over her from that, if nothing else. Um, she then attended uh, Smith College, and um, and it was after that, the summer after her third year of college, when she became a guest editor at, Ma- at Mademoiselle. And um, she that's when things sort of started taking a, a downward turn, uh, or more of a downward turn for her, um, where she was sort of comparing herself to uh, the ideal woman, I guess, in the or what was considered the ideal woman for Mademoiselle in, in those days. Um, and that's when she made her first documented suicide attempt by crawling under her house, taking an overdose of sleeping pills, as we were talking about. And after that, she was uh, committed to McLean Hospital in Massachusetts and received uh, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, and then uh, seemed to be recovering and, and was graduated from Smith with honors and then obtained a Fulbright scholarship to Cambridge where she met her husband, uh, the English poet Ted Hughes, and they got married in June of 1956 after a very short courtship, and um, they then moved to the United States where she taught at Smith, and then when she found out that she was pregnant, they moved back to the U.K., and uh, she had a miscarriage, which, of course, would have... Now, that was in 1961, and, of course, that would have um, recapitulated her grief over her father's death and um, then had two children, and um, her husband um, began an affair. And this is where the two of you... Uh, I'm going to go back to you for details, but her husband started having an affair with um, the wife of another poet, and um, that was, that was, I guess, uh, well, John, I think you would say that was symptomatic of their marital difficulties because you, um, I understand, don't want to blame Ted Hughes for all the problems. Well, uh, Ted Hughes has had a very bad press as far as the death of Sylvia Plath is concerned. In fact, he got to the stage that, um, uh, uh, I use the word uh, <laughs> carefully, uh, sort of a, a feminist um, brigade. Uh, he even went to the extent of going to Sylvia Plath's gravestone and scrubbing out the word Hughes, trying to expunge the memory of Ted Hughes from her life. In fact, it happened so often, eventually they had to replace the word Hughes in brass so that it couldn't be scrubbed off. Um, I don't... I, I may, this may be an unpopular view, but, uh, but I don't think that, um, say, Hughes can take as much blame as he's been given. Okay, he had an affair, which he shouldn't have done. But 
looking at it from another perspective, um, you mentioned the fact that there were, theirs was a, a, a world in romance, which it was. <clears throat> they, they hardly knew each other before they married. And what, one thing that Hughes did not know before they married was all about her past life. Mm. You've talked about her ECD and her depression and all the rest of it, and a suicide attempt. He did not know one iota of that until they had married. So when she started to behave uh, in a sort of depressive way and having mood swings and giving way to violent tempers and so on, this was a complete and utter shock to them. It was not what he'd expected at all. I can and, add... Uh, oh. People will react to that in very different ways. I agree with John that uh, he has gotten uh, the brunt of uh, anger and number of uh, very violent expressions of anger, both in writing and in person, and it made him understandably defensive. Um, I'm not uh, in a position, I don't think anyone is, either to be an apologist or an accuser. I mean, it's just simply impossible to assess other people's relationships. I do know that uh, one of the foremost scholars on Plath and on their relationship uh, with whom I worked, uh, or she was writing a book called Her Husband. This is Diane Middlebrook. One of the first things that I commented, Diane, as reading through her, her manuscript was how incredibly even-handed she was in her treatment. That uh, she had Diane, who died unfortunately about a year and a half ago, that Diane uh, had, uh, in her own mind, uh, reached the conclusion that this is far too complicated a matter to be uh, dismissed uh, in, you know, one-syllable words as, you know, CAD, bounder, whatever. And uh, so I agree with that. I also can, uh, just going to add, uh, in my own experience, that uh, Aria Plath um, herself was extraordinarily charitable to Ted Hughes. Uh, whatever reservations she had were complicated by uh, a relationship with Ted Hughes' sister, and I'm not going to go into that now, but, but to the extent that um, uh, when uh, there was a legal uh, issue that was raised in the mid-1980s, and again, I'll spare that, uh, Ted Hughes had to come over to defend uh, the estate of uh, Sylvia Plath, and one of the first things he did was look up Aurelia, and, and uh, that is Sylvia's mother, and uh, in her remarks to me throughout our relationship, um, she was more than uh, exceptionally uh, charitable, forgiving, um, understanding, whatever, and had certain ambivalences about her daughter, uh, overridden by, of course, a, a tremendous uh, uh, admiration and, and, and pride and, and love. But at the same time, it was not as though she or Rhea were altogether oblivious to uh, the difficulties that her daughter's emotional state caused everyone. Um, I was going to just uh, extract uh, from uh, Sylvia Plath's most famous poem about uh, her father and extension husband, a poem called Daddy. Oh, yes. And uh, in this poem, what she says is that uh, I was 10 when they buried you, she says of her father, at 20... I tried to die and get back, back, back to you. And there the word two could equally be at you. I thought even the bones would do, but they pulled me out of the sack and they stuck me together with glue. And then I knew what to do. I made a model of you, a man in black with a Mein Kampf look and a love of the rack and the screw. And I said, I do I do. Wow. Well, I think you get the sense that 
Sylvia herself, who was, by the way, in psychotherapy for uh, a dozen years, uh, was fully aware of the associations uh, between her relationship with her deceased father, who was uh, a, a very benign, uh, you know, professor of entomology at BU, but whom she envisioned in these horrific terms as though he were a, a, a Nazi commandant. Um, this is all purely emotionally improvised, and then well, extended the, the, that the, the, to her husband. One, I mean, one aspect of that, of course, is he did come from, he came from Austria, I believe, did he not? No, he, he, no, he came from Polish Corridor, but, but that's not the end of there. years before the Nazis turned up, sure. Oh, yeah, you know, he came over in 1900, and, and the point is, uh, oh, yeah. he, was, he died in uh, November 5th, 1940, the United States didn't. I mean, granted. Well, but okay. So I guess she was angry. <laughs> I guess I, she was angry. I detected some, um, some and anger there myself. See, well, the, for, the other aspect uh, of that, presumably, uh, is that uh, did she? I mean, is the reason why Sylvia married Ted in the first place? Was she looking for a husband or a, or a substitute father? Right. Well, right, and, and the fact or that both. he was six foot five uh, and a. a, a Dominant uh, physical presence, as well as you know, his his uh, overt masculinity, uh, would undoubtedly, if I were doing some you know psychobabbling, be an obvious source of uh, you know emotional appeal. There's no question. She also wrote a poem, and again, I won't extract more than a few lines, but it's called Electra on Azalea Path. And Azalea Path is the place where her father is buried in Winthrop, Massachusetts. And the opening line, is, or one of the lines is, I am the ghost of an infamous suicide, my own blue razor rusting at my throat. Oh, pardon the one who knocks for pardon at your gate, father, your hound bitch, daughter, friend. It was my love that did us both to death. Hmm. And clearly... The Electra myth, again, and anybody who had been in uh, Freudian analysis as long as Sylvia was, would have registered as a compelling explanation for why she was so conflicted over the loss of her father. Yes, now I wonder, apparently her, her father died um, from complications of diabetes. His, right. His foot had to be amputated. Right, right. And, um, and it was... Uh, related to his friend who had died of lung cancer, is that correct? Well, he he self-diagnosed as having lung cancer and therefore did not wish to undergo uh, therapy. In the 1930s, that probably would have been a little less sophisticated than it would be today. Right. And but, so, but, uh, uh, but diabetes was still curable then, wasn't Of it? course, but he didn't... Or treatable. Exactly, but he didn't uh, allow himself to be diagnosed, and by the time they did diagnose him, it was too late, and, and the amputation was followed a few days later by his death from gangrene. Well, and it sounds like she feels responsible and right. guilty for that in exactly. some way. Exactly. Okay, well, we do need to take another break. This story just gets um, more and more interesting as we plumb the depths, and, and um, of course, also all the more tragic uh, it's also all the more tragic since she was in psychoanalysis and they weren't able to um, stop her from killing herself in the end. Um, well, well, there was no room at the hospital where she would have been had Dr. Horder had uh, the opportunity. Okay, we can go into that. Right. We well, we do need to take a break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about Sylvia Plath and her 
son's recent suicide and uh, talking about suicide family legacy or coincidence. And it does not seem to be a coincidence, and we'll go into that a little bit more when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Son, we got to talk about drinking. Uh, I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
talking with you today about suicide, family legacy, or coincidence, and surely by now it's apparent that it was not a coincidence that Nicholas Hughes, the son of Sylvia Plath, um, killed himself uh, this past week um, after the experience of having his mother kill herself um, in uh, when he was about when he was 13 months old. Interestingly, she she gassed herself in the oven and he hanged himself. But it, I had forgotten um, that in fact in the story, the bell jar that Sylvia Plath wrote, the um, person who did um, kill herself, her arch rival, did hang herself, which obviously was known very well, too well, to Nicholas Hughes. Um, during the break. My guest and I were talking about uh, the uh, fact that Sylvia didn't get uh, didn't get rescued by a psychiatrist at the end of her life, her final suicide attempt. And uh, Professor Larson was talking about how her psychiatrist, Dr. Horder, was actually trying to find a place for her in a psychiatric ward, and there was no room, which is so interesting because um, things have not changed much today. You know, we still have some similar problems of people not getting the um, psychiatric attention that they need because of there being a lack of treatment facilities, a lack of hospital beds, and so on. Um, Let's talk about the suicide of um, the mistress of Ted Hughes, Sylvia's husband. Um, I see a well. Yes, which occurred six years after uh, Sylvia killed herself. Yeah, um, Asia assumed responsibility for caretaking of those children. Uh, if anyone is interested, uh, the book to read is called Lover of Unreason, and it's uh, by uh, two writers, uh, Yuda Koren, K-O-R-E-N, and uh, Ilad Negev, N-E-G-E-V, uh, and they discuss at some length the relationship and the ways in which uh, Asia was marginalized increasingly uh, in ways that uh, undermined her own uh, mental stability, and uh, at the same time, she was charged with responsibility for caretaking of uh, Sylvia's and Ted's uh, two children. There was also, it, it of was course, actually a... worse than that. Sorry, it was actually slightly worse than that because yeah. um, in the house in Devon, which was quite a large house, I understand. Yes, it is. Um, there was uh, Ted had invited his parents to stay, right, and his mother became very ill. He couldn't leave. So there was uh, Ted Hughes, there was his mother and his father there, and there was uh, one of whom was an invalid, and there were the three children, and there was Asia being expected to look after the whole lot of them. Right. And this got a bit much for her. Absolutely. And, and then she left off. She, she disappeared back to London. Right. But in terms of the <laughs> impact or uh, speculation, again, this is all speculation, uh, impact on, on Nicholas Hughes, uh, the loss of a parent surrogate and then a half-sibling obviously yes. also cannot be overestimated. I mean, that is now, either of them. Now, what about that? Um, I mean, so so um, Asia went to London and took her the daughter that she had with Ted, who was four years old at the time, right. and um, gassed herself in a similar way to how yes. Sylvia Plath had done it. Yes. Um, obviously, this was <laughs> between doing it in the same way and right. killing their daughter. This right. was an incredible um, message of rage towards right. Ted. Right. 
It's one of the reasons that uh, even though no one, I think, is in a position to judge Ted Hughes, and and, uh, nevertheless, you could see why the negative press has accrued, because clearly, uh, I think it was... uh, well stated by uh, you know Lady Bracknell and the importance of being earnest. You know, to lose one parent is perhaps understandable. <laughs> Two appears to be you know uh, carelessness. There is some sense in which uh, you know to lose one wife that way or one woman that way is amazing enough. But two seems you know obviously more problematic, and that's one reason Ted Hughes has you know been treated or conceived, you know considered the way he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I throw another little um, uh, iron on the fire here? Um, We're talking about uh, how this connects possibly with uh, Nicholas's suicide. Yes. Um, We're talking about coincidence. Now, I don't know if this is significant or not, but Athia Wevel committed suicide on the 25th of March, 1969, and Nicholas hanged himself on the 16th of March, very, very close, 2009, almost exactly 40 years afterwards. Now, is that a coincidence, or is there a connection there? Well, there has to be a connection, and what do you think Doesn't it is? I don't know. <laughs> I'll throw that one into the, throw that one into the fire. <laughs> well, I mean, did, did he have... I mean, I would think that he most likely resented uh, Asia, one, for taking his mother's place and being the cause of her death. Well, I mean, some people think, and I, I certainly, <laughs> I must say, I think I'm, although I, I don't consider myself a feminist, I do think that probably I'm seeing it a little more um, from that perspective, and you two men may well be uh, more in defense of, of Ted Hughes, but, but it would seem as though... Um, Nicholas may well have been angry at, at Asia, not only because she did, uh, in, in his mind, seem to be responsible for his mother's death, but also that she then, when he was seven approximately, right, she then uh, killed herself and left him again without a mother. Right. Well, there's no question that, you know, that has to have had some rather dramatic uh, implications emotionally for a child of that age. I mean, it's, it's inconceivable. Let's to think remember, of... there, there's another child here. It's Frida. Yes. Uh, Frida has not committed suicide, and I hope she never does. Yeah. But uh, she has also suffered from depression, and uh, I believe she's had ME and anorexia. Now, what is ME? Well. I saw that in that article, but what, what is ME? Uh, well, I thought uh, you might know. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it I've is never a seen that title uh, given out by the Crown, I think. A member of it, it, it's not MBE. It may be MBE. Or something. No, a, a, just ME. I, I don't know. But go ahead. Oh my goodness! That's that's our music. We need to stop. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my! Well, let me thank my guest, uh, University of Massachusetts literature professor Richard Larson, and British professional librarian John Welford. We um, we are leaving this uh, still in somewhat of an intriguing mystery, and I do hope, and I'm sure my guests hope as well, that we have um, inspired you to certainly read The Bell Jar and to read more about Sylvia Plath's life and this, this interesting family. And although, as a psychiatrist, let me just conclude by saying that although certainly depression, um, there is a genetic uh, factor in inheriting depression, 
Um, in my opinion, as more of a Freudian analyst type, um, that I think that the things that occurred, these, these things that we've been talking about, the influence of, of, the, of, of Sylvia's father dying, the influence of, of what Nicholas endured as a child um, with the suicides of his mother and, and uh, his father's mistress and so on, that these things would have had a tremendous, tremendous impact. Not everyone who inherits the gene for potential depression becomes depressed, and not everyone who becomes depressed becomes suicidal. So, uh, and of course, treatment is is key if one is feeling depressed, or certainly if one is feeling suicidal, especially in these tough times. So, thank you again, my wonderful guests, and thank you all for listening. And uh, I hope we have honored Nicholas Hughes and the Sylvia Plath and the family by by trying to unravel the mysteries of the family. So, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.